We're glad you're on the hill, and we're also glad if you have chosen to join us online. Um, I'm just here to say welcome, and to also give you a couple of announcements. Um, okay, three announcements. We have a few things coming up that are always a lot of fun. We're still going to try to do this year our um, daddy-daughter date night. It's on February 13th. If you are a guy and you have a young person, young girl in your life that you would like to experience that with, you can sign up at the back. It's on February 13th. It's from 6 to 8. Um, we also are going to do our sweetheart dinner. So that's on February 14th. So if you're a guy and you have a girl or a girl and a guy and you'd like to come celebrate that way, you can do that. You can also sign up back there. Now, You see my pom-pom? That's because I am the church cheerleader, and I'm here to encourage all of you ladies to um, join us for Fresh Grounded Faith. Um, Jennifer Rothschild and her team, Lisa Welchel, for those of you all who watched Facts of Life with Blair, um, they will be here on March 5th and 6th, Friday night, Saturday morning. We would love for you to join us. We're going to take good care of you as far as our precautions, etc. So um, you can also get a ticket right back there. Um, with me this morning or this week or before March 5th. So we give you lots of options, but we're glad you're here today. Stand up with us, I believe, and let's worship. You go 
God is fighting for us. We declare he's worthy today. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Yeah. 
You can have a seat. He is worthy. He is holy. And he invites us at this time to commune with him. And we come to a time of communion, which does mean coming together and we come around the table. Um, But Jesus also said that it's a covenant. He's made a covenant with us, a covenant in his, through his body and his blood. You know, a covenant is an agreement. Um, when God, Jesus, make a covenant, they are faithful to keep it. So what he asks us to do is to remember what he's done for us, that he came here. He did not have to come here and humble himself as a man, live as we have lived, but he chose to so that we could have an example of how we can live for God. So he humbled himself and did that. But in the midst of that, he asked that we remember that because of his sinless life, he was accepted as that perfect sacrifice. He paid for us. He paid for you. And he wants us to remember that he did that then. And then he asks us to proclaim that until he comes again. And y'all, he's coming again. I don't know when. None of us know when, but he is coming again, and we're to proclaim that um, until he chooses to do that. Um, We're going to talk, David's going to share with you about humility today, and I just want to remind you that when Jesus says to take this in a worthy manner and to examine ourselves, what we're examining is are are we recognizing who he is? Um, Part of pride is that we think of ourselves too much. Um, Maybe you think of yourself very highly. Maybe you think of yourself lowly. Um, But the key is we're thinking of ourselves too much. And he asks us to remember him. So in the midst of what seem like dark days and uncertainty, um, he says, focus on me. If God is for us, who can be against us? No weapon formed against us shall prosper. The church will withstand the gates of hell. So I ask you today to go with me in prayer. We're going to sing a song. You can come up and um, partake of the emblems and just ask that you would remember Jesus, what he did. He paid the price. He conquered death. He conquered sin, and he's there for you. So let's go to him in prayer and just be reminded of that today. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we praise you that you are worthy. You are holy. That you are, I am who I am. And we praise you. We thank you, Jesus, that you chose to leave heaven and come here to give us that example, but also to be that perfect sacrifice that pays for our sin. And that we've made an agreement with you that we'll remember that, that we will um, come into that relationship, that you are our Savior, you save us from hell and allow us to go to heaven, but you also are our Lord. Lord, in everything that we do today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives, would you remind us of what you've done and that you are Lord. You are Lord, and it's by your grace through faith in that that we are saved. We thank you, Jesus. It's because of what you've done for us, we come around this table. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless this time in your name. Amen.
Amen, amen. And I'm glad you guys are here today. For everybody that's on site and for so many that are worshiping with us online, uh, we are so, so glad that you're here today. Uh, if you're worshiping with us online, we just encourage you to engage and, and to read with us. Hope you were singing with us. Uh, add comments in the comment bar. Let us know where you're at. Uh, just any prayer requests, things like that. Let us know what's going on. Man, we're, 
I've thought about this series for so long and getting ready for this series. I can't believe we're past the halfway part. Uh, we've got this week and next week uh, and talking about the separation of church and hate. So far, we've talked about how important it was. If we're going to separate those two, if we're going to live differently, if we're going to live in such a way and react in such a way that we can make a difference. We talked about how important it was to behave with civility. And then we talked about how important it was to, to act with dignity and love. And today we're just going to jump right in, just full throttle, uh, and talk about how important it is to demonstrate humility. Kim talked a little bit about that in, in the thoughts leading into communion. How do we demonstrate humility? And how does that help make a difference in, in a situation where we're trying to separate the church and hate and, and, and just be a loving people? Let me ask you this. Think about this. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put you on the spot and ask you to stand up and tell, but you think about it. What are you known for? What are you known for? Maybe there's a lot of different things, but what's the main thing that you would be known for? You see these pictures come up on the screen and there's some individuals that you would recognize. Colonel Sanders, we all know what he's known for. Chicken, right? Finger licking good chicken, right? Only during the pandemic, don't lick your fingers. I mean, that's, that's what it is, all right? That's who he is, all right? Hank Aaron. Hammer and Hank just passed away. A lot of you guys in this service especially, a lot of you guys remember the day he broke the home run record, don't you? You've got that video in your mind of him hitting it over the fence and players jumping over the fence trying to get that that uh, career home run that put him past Babe Ruth. What about Mr. Rogers? He's known for cardigan sweaters and a gentle spirit uh, martin luther king is known for the civil rights movement tim allen you know tim the tool man or now more recently mike baxter the outdoor man some of our younger congregation might know daniel radcliffe will be forever harry potter we, we see these images we see these people and they are kind of immediately in our minds known for something so what if what if I had contacted all of your families this week and asked for a photograph? Some may have just panicked a little bit. But no, I'm not going to put it on the screen right now. But if I were to put a picture of you on the screen and ask your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, what's that person known for? What would they say? It's kind of a sobering question, isn't it? It's something that's a little bit, uh, I, I hope it would be good. <laughs> I hope it would be something nice. I hope they wouldn't remember high school. You know, I don't know what it is that, that you might have going through your mind. But let's take it a different direction. What if, what if we ask our community, our community around us, what is Shelby Christian known for? What would they say? What if we ask the entire world, what are Christians known for? It, it turns out David Kinnaman and Dave Lyons, who do a lot of surveys and things, did this massive survey, this massive survey asking a new generation of Christians, what they, a new generation of Americans, excuse me, what they think about Christians. You know what the, the answer was summarized as? Here's what they thought. They found that 65%, 65% of non-Christians perceive Christians or think that Christians are too caught up in pushy political agendas. I mean, let me, let me break that down a little bit. That's nearly two-thirds. And that's ne nearly two-thirds of non-believers are turned off to Jesus. Not because of who Jesus was or what he taught, but because of how Jesus' followers engage with culture specifically when it comes to political ideas now I, I i get it i know in fact when i read that when i read that and was studying for that and i saw that there, there were some thoughts that went through my mind and maybe you're thinking right now wait a minute we got to stand up for the truth yeah, yeah absolutely we do some of us would say if you don't stand for anything you'll fall for you know, if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything that's true that's true but here's the deal 
the only person in history, only one, only person in history that got it right 100% of the time was Jesus. And the people in his day who were really far from God were enamored by him and wanted to hang out with him and they hung on every word. There's something beautiful about humility. Something beautiful about humility. We admire it when we see it in other people. A lot of times we see it in other people and we even think that's the way that I want to live. Uh, We desire it for ourselves. (laughs) Yet it's kind of like patience be careful what you pray for, you know, you know, we, we desire it, but the road to humility is very difficult. It's one of those virtues that's never gained just by seeking it. And when we think we have it, it probably means we don't. It's the nature of the beast. In 2017, a guy named Peter DeMarco wrote an an article for a magazine called The Business Journals. It's strictly a business article, and it was entitled, Four Ways to Understand Real Humility and Avoid False Humility. And although the article is directed to business leaders, I I think you'll see that the four ways that he lists uh, to apply to humility, they apply to all of us, to Christian leaders as well. Here's the four things he said. Number one, humility is reality-centered. It's not living in a dream world. It's reality-centered. The second thing he said is is kind of obvious, that humility is the opposite of pride. And and we kind of already instinctively, we know that. Then I found it interesting that that this businessman writing this article in this business magazine, he listed his third thing, a quote from C.S. Lewis, the Christian writer. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And finally, he said, humility cannot occur without cultivating our comfort with accepting criticism and compliments. You know, sometimes even being complimented can mess with your humility, can mess with your pride. See, here's the conflict that I think we've got to deal with. How, how do you feel good about something you've done and still remain humble? How do you feel good about what you're doing and not let it go to your head? How do you feel good about things and not end up full of pride? See, I think amid all the conflict that we see in our world today, how we stand on biblical convictions... And not let pride in our position take over the way we respond is critical. And and it's kind of the paradox, like we just said a moment ago. When we think we got it, we've many times actually just lost it. Let me give you the bottom line today early so you can be thinking about this, okay? The bottom line for today is humility says there is nothing beneath me and therefore there is no one beneath me and we look no further than jesus to be able to confirm this in fact rather than jesus bragging on his own humility there is this amazing passage of scripture that i want us to start looking at this morning it's in the book of philippians it's in chapter two and there, this guy named Paul that most of us know about this guy this former persecutor of the who became a proclaimer of the faith, he, Paul, not only brags on the humility of Jesus, but he challenges us, challenges you and me, challenges everybody that would read this to imitate that level and that attitude. So Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start with verse 1. And in verse 1, he just describes Jesus, okay? He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement... From being united with Christ, any comfort that comes to you from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you're, if you like those things, then make my joy complete by, here's the thing, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. 
Now, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And here it comes. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. If you're, if you're a highlighter or an underliner, there's, there's the line. In, in humility, in humility, value others above yourselves. Stop and think about that. What would the world look like if we were able to do that? And then he goes on to say, not looking at your own interest, but each of you looking at the interest of others. Now here's the challenge. Here's the challenge in the next four verses. He says, in your relationships with one another, the way you treat one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some translations say something to be held on to or grasped or clung tightly to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He, here we go again, he humbled himself by coming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, Paul said, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall proclaim or acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Be fantastic if we could live that way. What we need to see here is how Jesus did that and to try to learn from that. And what we see, first of all, if I think about Jesus, is that love is what allows us in humility to value others better than ourselves. It becomes our motivation. Love becomes our motivation. It, it's completely countercultural to our world today. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, that's not the norm for how the world lives. Our world says value yourself more than others. Who do you think, if I were to ask you right now on the notepad that you've got or your phone or whatever to to write down or type out a name or just think of a name, who do you value more than yourself? Let me ask it this way, because this is kind of how the world thinks of it. Who's a big deal to you? Who's such a big deal to you that you would love to hang out with them? That you'd love to have them over the house for dinner, or at least meet them in a nice restaurant, and hope that they paid. But maybe you'd do it, though. Who's that person that you just, like, that, yeah, I'd love to, like, is it, is it Chris Mack or John Calipari? <laughs> Probably not this year. <laughs> is it Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes? I kind of think it's the goat and the lamb. I mean, like, they're it, man. You want to hang out with them before next week? I think they're kind of busy right now. Um, is it Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Is it somehow the person who had the other team sign in your yard, in their front yard? Would it be the person that cut you off in traffic yesterday when you were driving on the interstate? Would it, would it be the person who said some things about you at work so that they got the promotion that you wanted and you actually deserved? Maybe for our students, would it be the student that told lies so they could get the better grade and at an older level they got the prom date that you really wanted? How do we value people? If you look back there in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, it says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to cling on to, but himself, but humbled himself and became a, a servant. Think about that. Jesus is equal with God. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's the Son part. He's there from the beginning. But he didn't consider that equality with God something to grasp. But he humbled himself. Now let's stop and think just for a moment about this question. What king humbles himself? Is quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. No people in those positions tend to 
get proud, not get humble. I, I love the song we just sang. I, I love that we sang that song. It's typically we sing it at Christmas time, but I think it's it's perfect all year round. I also love the Christmas song that asks the question: How many kings step down from their throne? How many lords abandon their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? See, love was Jesus' motivation. Instead, what we see most often, and rather than love being the motivation of the world, what we see most often is most people, when they get power, they can't seem to keep their mouth shut, right? I mean, you watch it... I, being a sports guy, I'm watching an ESPN, and it's crazy during this NBA offseason that NBA players that get, like, sick contracts. I mean, crazy money. And then they start talking about and blame their other teammates, and they get traded to the Brooklyn Nets. We've seen politicians lose their position because they just couldn't keep their mouth closed. Called people names. What happened to let your actions speak for themselves? What happened to the idea that my folks taught me a long time ago that it's better to be thought to be foolish than to open your mouth and prove it? What happened to that way of thinking? It's not very humble. See, selfish ambition and vain conceit are the driving forces, I think, behind pride, and they're the driving forces of much of our world today. But love is the motivating factor for humility. It's interesting that in John's gospel, John was Jesus' best earthly friend. He was referred to as the beloved. And when he starts writing a lot of things, we read some of them last week, where, where John recorded Jesus saying, a new commandment I have to you, that you love one another. John wrote a lot about that. In John 13, if you want to turn over there, it starts by John telling us that Jesus knew that the end was near, but he loved them, and I love the phrase, to the very end. Till the very end. That's at the end of uh, John 13, verse 1. He says he loved them to the very end. And, but then he says in verse 2, knowing that the end was coming, listen to what Jesus did. Now this is Jesus who being in the very nature God, Jesus, all right? Understand who this is. This is Jesus, and the evening meal was in progress. The devil, it says, had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, Jesus, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. See, what happened was someone missed out on their job. Somebody dropped the ball. Somebody at that dinner party should have been responsible for washing everyone's feet when they came in. That was the tradition of the day. Somebody dropped the ball. Now, you got to remember, these guys had been out walking on just dirt roads. They were in sandals, not Nikes. Some of these guys, although they had left their trade as being fishermen, they probably still hung out with some fishermen, and they were down at the docks probably some. And so in addition to the dirt, they got fish guts in between their toes. And Jesus starts washing their feet. He wrapped his clothes around him. That wasn't just to get them out of the way. You need to understand that. When Jesus took off his outer cloak and wrapped things around him, that was the physical image of a servant in that day. 
That's how the servant's dressed. If you were, if you were uh, fortunate enough to have a servant in your house, that's how they would have dressed. So Jesus gets up from the table and takes on the image of a servant and then starts doing the things that a servant did. See, when the end of the road was in sight, people, <laughs> most people, probably even me, if I'm really honest, when the end of the road is in sight, the typical response is to look for a weapon, not a towel. When the, when the world would have been getting, gathering weapons, Jesus chose a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. Now here, you got to play this all the way out. You and I, most of us, a lot of us in here, would call ourselves disciples. Followers of Jesus, which means that Jesus would be willing to wash your feet. Love was the motivation, but the towel was the tool. But but the question is, would you let him? Would you let Jesus wash your feet? Peter didn't want to. Look down in verse 6. Here's what it says. But he came to Simon Peter. He, he's been going around the room. He gets to Simon Peter and who said, Lord, are you, do you think you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, Don't you realize what I'm doing? You don't get it now, do you? But you're going to. Later on, you're going to understand this. And Peter. <laughs> Peter, he's really good about those never statements. Remember, we saw one of them last week. Peter says, you'll never wash my feet, Jesus. <laughs> I love the response. Jesus said, okay, fine. But unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I wonder how long the pause was. I wonder how long the pause was before between Jesus' comment and Peter responding in verse, what we have is verse 9. Then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Wash all of me. Wash all of me. Because I don't want to be out here without you. Symbolically, today, we think washing, how would Jesus wash us all? It's right over there, isn't it? We go in the baptistry, all of us, all of us, and it's all washed away. It, it's all cleansed away. Yeah, Peter really, really liked to throw that word never around. I'll never deny you. I'll never eat those animals. You'll never wash my feet. Never, never, never. That word never worked out the way Peter planned it. Because just like us, Peter's pride led him to his never comments. I'm too good for that. Our pride, can we be honest? Our pride can cause us to say some things that we shouldn't. Our, our pride can cause us to type some things we shouldn't. Our pride can cause us to think some things we shouldn't. Our pride causes us to say things like, I can't believe you voted for, fill in the blank. Goes both ways. We, we say that because our pride can, convinces us that our opinion is the only one that matters. That's what pride does. What I think is the most important thing. <laughs> it's, it's really the only opinion that matters. I had a professor in college. Professor in college, in a Christian college. He used to, when debate would start in the classroom, and one of his favorite things to say was there was some knucklehead student who's 18, 19, 20 years old, thought he knew it all. And, and, and he would listen for a minute, and our, my professor would just simply say, well, everyone's entitled to their opinion, and I'm entitled to the right one. Isn't that what we all think? Isn't that what we all think? God speaks to me different than he speaks to you. I got a closer connection. So what I think is what really matters. My opinion is the one that really matters. I don't care if you've been thinking about this, praying about this, whatever, but everybody's entitled to their opinion, but I'm entitled to the right one. That's filled with pride. And see, pride is the opposite of humility. 
The amazing thing about what Jesus did in a world that was so messed up, he did something that the world viewed as humiliating instead of humility, but he was showing his humility. I want you to see something here. Peter went from telling Jesus he would never wash his feet to inviting Jesus to wash his whole body. And then later, 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 after all this has happened later, in, in the book of 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter that he wrote after this had all happened, Peter wrote these words. You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up at the right time. It may not be at that moment, but that phrase in due time, that means at the right time. It means when you need it the most, that's in due time. Peter writes, clothe yourself in humility. Tie a towel around your waist and let that towel be your tool of humility and love and serve your brothers. Just a few months before I was born, John F. Kennedy was inaugurated as the newly elected president. Of everything that JFK did in his two short years in office, one of the statements that he made early on early on in January of 1961 was this. And it's one of the things that's most remembered from JFK. He said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. See, during that season, right after JFK said that, literally by the hundreds, even thousands Men and women immediately joined the Peace Corps. Many enlisted in the military. Later would give their lives in Vietnam and other coming conflicts. Some became teachers and some even went to the moon. Because they started asking, what could I do for my country? In 60 years, (laughs) wow, what a difference 60 years has made we've definitely reverted to what can my country do for me? The sense of humility, of service has been replaced with a sense of entitlement to have our country provide for us. But Jesus, Jesus, we got to keep coming back to Jesus. we got to talk Jesus. Jesus calls us to do and to see what we can do for everyone. Jesus calls his disciples to serve. And as he was leaving this, this planet to go back to be with the Father, he gave us marching orders. And some of the disciples heard, and they went to Judea, and some went to Samaria, and others went to Africa, and others went to Asia. And centuries later, some even came to the Americas, and it changed the world, right? It changed the world. So guys, we got to let love be our motivation and our town be our tool. And here's why. Jesus, that guy, Jesus, is our only king. Jesus is our only king. Last week we looked at the book of Galatians as as Paul confronted Peter for not acting in dignity. But I want to go back to Galatians as we finish this up this morning. Go back to the book of Galatians if you've got your Bible. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul reminds us of our gift of freedom. But he also warns us not to let our personal pride get in the way of that freedom. In, in verse 13, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, you are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Instead, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. 
if you bite and devour each other, it's almost, it's almost like Paul knew what would be happening in 2020 and 2021 as people bite and devour each other. And we got to separate that. He says, as you bite and devour each other, watch out. Uh-oh. Or you will be, what's that next word? Destroyed. You'll be destroyed by each other. Hey, listen, we got to understand this. Jesus is our only king. You, you, we can, you and I, we can't put our hope anywhere else. He's the only hope we have. And he used a towel as a tool to make a difference because love was his motivation. And we got to understand this. If we're going to separate all this, we got to understand our hope is not in Washington, D.C. Never has been, never will be. That our hope is not in Frankfort, Kentucky. Never has been, never will be. Then on a local level, our hope is not downtown Shelbyville. Never has been, never will be. Understand this, guys. Our hope is not found in who occupies or vacates the big house on Pennsylvania Avenue. Our hope is found in the one who occupied and then vacated a tomb outside of Jerusalem. That's where our hope is. Our hope... Our hope, our only hope, is shown to others in our service to the King. Here's the deal. John the Baptist was the guy the Father used to prepare the way for Jesus. John the Baptist had a huge following. It was a big deal. But in John chapter 3, verse 30, when when he was asked about Jesus, John said, He's got to get bigger, and i got to get smaller. I must decrease so that he might increase. That's humility. 2020 is going to be remembered for all sorts of things. One of the most amazing things I read about in 2020 that virtually went unnoticed, if you didn't already know, a guy named Chuck Feeney. Feeney spent the first half of his life making money. I'm talking sick money. I'm talking hundreds of billions of dollars money. But in 1982, he did something crazy. And then he spent the next 38 years giving it all away. 1982, Chuck Feeney established a foundation to serve charities. And in September of 2020, below the radar, a lot of people didn't know or were worried about vaccines and masks and everything else. But in September of 2020, he accomplished his goal. You know what his goal was? In these simple words... Striving for zero to give it all away. Feeney said this. He said, wealth brings responsibility. People must define themselves or feel a responsibility to use some of their assets to improve the lives of their fellow humans or else create intractable problems for future generations. We got to figure this out. We got to get it right or the generations to come are going to be messed up. See, Chuck Feeney stood firm in his conviction. He he wasn't mean or arrogant, but he stood firm. And here's what our king, here's what our king calls us to. Our king calls all of us to stand firm in our ideologies. I've got some very strong beliefs. I've got some very strong beliefs athletically. I've got some very strong beliefs socioeconomically. I've got some very strong beliefs politically. But, but we're to stand firm in our ideology, but we've got to live in peace with humanity. Our king calls us, disagree peacefully, but love unconditionally. So guys, change is never easy. The only way we're ever going to achieve the separation of church and hate is we got to act different than the world. we got to behave with civility, and act with dignity, and demonstrate humility. And then next week we're going to talk about how we live in unity. Remember, I told you the bottom line is this. Nothing beneath me and no one beneath me. So our marching orders, our marching orders, 
Let let love let love of God and God's love be our motivation. And love people with the towel as our tool. And with Jesus as our king, let's go change the world. Would you guys stand up with me? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. Don't leave here today without that. Jason's down here and would love to talk to you about that. we got some elders sprinkled around the room. We'd love to talk to you about that. And so if you haven't made that decision, I challenge you. Don't leave here today unprotected. Don't leave here today without eternity in check and knowing and where it's going to be. But since the majority of you have made that decision and you're cool, it's good. While we sing, you got to pray. You got to pray for a move of God among our world. You can do it where you're at, standing up. You can kneel at your seat. You can come down here. But we got to pray and ask God to change the world. And if he needs to, to let us be a part of that change. Come on.